I'm pulling up the discussion points. Well, it's your guys' favorite time of the week, Between Two Sheets, episode number 15. Uh, Nolan Axton here, Clay Feldner here, and Wes Mason is here, the the three hacks of the Minot Curling Club. Uh, good episode last week, guys. We had the ladies from Curl for the Cure on. That was fun to kind of recap, and what a heck of a job that they did. Great job. 400 bucks. Yep. Yep. For a very good cause from the first full ladies sponsor of the third annual Curl for the Cure. So it was fun to talk to them. Um, this week we got some fun stuff to talk about too. The history we've all been waiting for. <laughs> the, the shirt sleeve bond spiel is, is upon us. And yeah, we're going to get to that real quick. Uh, just wanted to give you some club updates and league updates real quick. We're in the final week of league play. Um, and we got four teams left for playing down for the league city championship. Yep. Yep. So for the A, we have Grain Belt and what are we got? Grain Belt and Dirty Biters. And then we have Hofer and Drill Chem playing down. She's going all the way. My bracket's secured. All right. This sorry, guy sorry, just sorry. has no just faith in us, eh? Picked us to lose. We, we, <laughs> we made round one. Um, yeah. So um, I, I do want to say, too, the military championship is happening as we speak, as we speak. right outside of the... We're recording in the locker room Live today. from the Minot Curling yeah. Club. Locker room. Um, so Rockridge Dads, Rockridge Circle Dads, it's a cul-de-sac up on the Air Force Base. They all live in it. So they are competing right now for their second title. And uh, the dancing lobsters are, are are trying to steal victory from them, right from the, the jaws of defeat. So, yeah, yeah, this is it's good. I'm excited Very to good. kind of watch it on the TV back there. A week full of good curling here. Tomorrow night is the league, city championship, uh, Wednesday the 29th. Mm-hmm. Is that the date? Yeah, yep, that Tuesday is. The 28th. Um, and then after that wraps up, it's the weekend we've all been waiting for. And we're joined by a very special guest to kind of chat about the shirt sleeve bond spiel and what goes on and what has gone on there mark hildall thanks for thanks for joining us on between two sheets well thank you Nolan. it's kind of fun for me to get a chance to kind of rack my brain to uh kind of think about all the history of the the minor curling club especially and the and of course the shirt sleeve bond spiel which uh, has been our tradition for 60 some years yeah, right before this, we actually had to tell Mark to stop telling stories and save them for the podcast because they were all coming out too soon. Didn't want to ruin it. I didn't ask. Uh, I, I think a good one. I, I know you've probably not curled in all of them, but have you ever missed one? Not been there at all? Uh, when I, I went away to school in the 70s. Okay, so it's so, that time frame. So I, I was around in the 60s and played in those as a sometimes as a 7th and 8th grader and uh, curled all the way through high school here. I went away to school for seven years, and during that time, I did come back, I believe, once for the shirt sleeve. I came back for other bond spiels here and there. Believe it or not, we used to have five bond spiels a year here, and sometimes six. And so uh, if it worked out for a spring break, and I, I think I had a team that I curled with out of the Twin Cities when I was in school there that I brought up here one weekend to, to curl. And so we did come back a few times, but from about, I came back in 1978, and from that point on, I've been here for all of them. Uh, I don't think I've missed any being out of town. I haven't personally curled in all of them. I, my curling has been curtailed the last, 15 years, but uh, prior to that, I curled in all of them. Yeah. Yep. It's hard to curl when you're running everything. Yeah. 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 Um, so I guess, like, like we said, we're going to talk a little bit about the history. One thing I just want to start start the conversation off with is 
it's called the shirt sleeve bond spiel and do you know the origins of the name and why why it became the shirt sleeve spiel well in, in uh, originally there was a, two bond spiels in march it was called the international which was a bond spiel that the minor curling club hosted from back in the 20s and 30s so that bond spiel was always going on in the old minor curling club in here when they first opened this club they started the spring bond spiel being in the spring and getting ready for the probably the golf season in spring, the shirt sleeve name came. It was actually the NSP shirt sleeve. Northern States Power, which is now XL, was a sponsor of that event. And we had several members uh, of the Minot Curling Club who worked at NSP. And so they took it on themselves to sponsor that bond spiel. In fact, the prizes for that bond spiel were all electric appliances. Hey! And so, I might know years, somebody there. I won electric blankets, I won toasters, I won uh, all kinds of electric <laughs> frying pans. Uh, many times I was curling with my dad and my, my, and my brother. So we'd get three of those, whatever we won. <laughs> Re restock the house with right. new appliances. Yeah, well, or, it was or you did your Christmas, Christmas gift. Yeah. Christmas oh, gifts, yeah. a lot of I, I wedding, gift, wedding gifts and Christmas <laughs> yeah. gifts were covered for a lot of years. As, a, awesome. as an employee of a, a utility currently, uh, we still give away a lot of electric appliances. <laughs> you know, it right. hasn't changed. So that was the original uh, sponsor of the event was an NSP shirt sleeve. That's how it started. And for I believe that NSP probably took care of the prizes for at least the first 10 years or so. Sure. Uh, in those days, all of our bond spiels had prizes uh, that were purchased around town. And that was a big job to do that six times during the year, to go out and buy prizes for the four events that we were playing. So that so that really 16 teams were getting prizes to get something different every time. So they would go to sporting goods stores and, and all over town and buy things. In those days, Montgomery Ward, Sears were around. Those are prominent stores, J.C. Penney's. So you'd buy things, uh, not all appliances for all the bond spiels. A lot of them were maybe dishes or whatever they could come up with to try to get appropriate prizes for all the bond spiels. And so that's the way it was for most of our bond spiels. And then starting in about 1978 or 9, I would say uh, Morelli's, uh, one of the beer distributors here in town, and Jerry Gooch, who was one of my best friends, and I got him curling about the time I moved back to town. We got him to start bringing down beer logoed attire, t-shirts, sweatshirts, hats, and whatnot. And that was so popular. We were, he would sell most of the prizes from the Bonspiel a lot of times during the, the weekend. I'd make him go back to the warehouse on Sunday to get prizes to replenish what he'd been selling. And so uh, that, that happened once like in good. my memory. Yeah, yeah. I can remember yeah. he set up shop over in the over in the Holiday Inn. Yes. Yeah, so so we have. Uh, uh, been able to, to continue the curling club through some, actually really, really through some pretty tough years. Mm -hmm. um, rallies were able to keep us going uh, with prizes and providing those all through those, so at least 40 years if not more, uh, they've been providing the prizes for the shirt sleeve whether it's been Morelli's themselves or Grain Belt, I think we were some other, Paps Blue Ribbon uh, Schmidt Light was a, one of the sponsors all through the year, different beer Shiner, uh, Shiner yeah so 
Uh, so anyway, they've, they've really kept our club going through all those years. So, so you mentioned a couple of tough years. Like what were, what are, what was kind of the, the bookends? What, what are the peak years of the club? What are, what are the, were the hardest years in terms of attendance? <laughs> well, uh, the, the tough years were probably in the middle to late 80s and early 90s. We were down to 50 members maybe, wow. something like oh that. Yeah, that's, that's uh, It was really thin going. We did keep ourselves going with Bonspiels then still. Uh, the history of the Bonspiels, we, we used to typically have 48 team Bonspiels. And we'd have wow. five of those a year, at least, and then sometimes six. And they were waiting lists and sold out all the time. That was our limit was 48. When I started making up the draws uh, for the shirt sleeve back in the early 80s, uh, curling in the, and really it's, it's really a demographic thing. The small towns in Canada and the small towns in North Dakota where curling was very popular uh, started to die out. But up until that point, every little town in Canada had a curling club and, every, and several little towns in North Dakota had curling clubs. And so those people were around for the winter and they would come down here. So we had people that curled five Bonspiels a year in Minot that lived just over the border in Canada. Sure thing. Very loyal folks. We had, we had people that curled, a, a, a gentleman by the name of Ed Winkler curled here for 45 straight years in Bonspiels. Another fellow, Chubb Grave, from Regina, curled for at least 45 or 50 years down here, never missed a Bonspiel. So we had some really loyal Canadian friends that would come down for these Bonspiels. So we, it was very easy to fill the Bonspiels. Well, some of the curling in Canada as well as the United States in the smaller towns started to be a struggle. The curling clubs were closing, the people were going south in the winter. The Things got expensive. Things got different, yes. And so, so the shirt sleeve has kind of held its own all through the years. Uh, you, believe it or not, you guys won't believe this, but we always had a four-game guarantee, and the wow. biggest number we had was 84 teams. Holy smoke. And How so, many sheets of ice at the Four? Say, well, we'd have six we, sheets of we ice. We had six then. at the Okay. But we started on Thursday night, and teams would play two. They'd each play a game Thursday night. There'd be two draws on Thursday. Those same teams would come back Friday morning, play their second round, and then all the other teams would come to town. But we would have games beginning at three in the morning. Uh, <laughs> beginning at three in the morning. Yeah. Three a.m. Yeah. Yeah. So, so it was to to get all the games in, and we were giving everybody four game guarantee. So, so that took a lot of curling and a lot of uh, uh, hours and a lot of work to keep the ice going, keep the place running all through those weekends. But it was it was our profit for the year. It, it kept the curling club going for quite a few years when our membership was down. Our you know, sponsorships were down, things like that. So even in the early 90s, when membership was down to 50 people, you still had over 30 teams in the shirts. Right. Oh, yeah, we'd always have 40 to 50. I'd just take all I could get. Okay. And I'd figure out the draw after, you know, two, three days before the bonds field, I'd start making the... So a big contrast is as it is today, where we have what is it, 200 members, give or take? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. 150 to 200 yeah, members, 100, and but a smaller shirt sleeve comparatively. Right. Well, we, we've been, and it's been slowly happening. The Canadian uh, curlers have not come down like they used to, uh, and so, and the Canadian dollar has always been a factor. But even when it was poor, they would still come. But that hasn't happened as much lately. Mm -hmm. uh, and curling in uh, Canada, I think, has kind of gone into the big cities now. I don't think uh, the smaller towns, 
are as successful or as, uh, have as many teams or you as see many rinks a lot of the smaller towns are losing their rinks just because of upkeep costs and, right and yeah they, they got the same hard. problem with yeah. 50 members they're not going to be able to keep it going yeah and so so that's changed mm-hmm. the shirt sleeve has been kind of unique as i've been thinking about it our international bonds bill which was usually the second week in march would be a lot more competitive we'll say mm-hmm. uh, teams fairly good well-known canadian teams would come to play in that that was a very tough bonds field to win uh, they'd come down with you know, out of the 48 teams there'd be 20 to 25 teams that were very competitive in U.S. or Canada circles. Even our local teams would load up. We'd have, you know, wouldn't take your league team into that. An all-star team. You'd find four, yeah, yeah, four skips might get together and and curl. That was your playoff caliber team. Got to play in that one. The shirt sleeve, however, uh, has always been more of a end of the year fun spiel. Club club teams, even the Canadian teams. There have been many good teams that would come down. A lot of really well-known Canadian competitive curlers would come to that, but not with their competitive team. They'd come with their buddies or their league team or their uh, friends from home. And so it, they were good curlers. They just weren't coming as a competitive team. And they weren't here necessarily. They they were. It was easy for them to, to curl well. Yeah. But that wasn't their main focus of being it, here. It was it was never a cash spiel, right? You no. Said we went from electric appliances to, to the Morelli sponsorship. Right. Yeah, we've never done. We have done a cash spiel in the past, and the cash spiel. That's that's an. Now I'm going to express an opinion, but over the years there's been cash spiels in the U.S. and all over, and that kind of killed the bond spiels because. Sure it was more serious then and so you wouldn't see somebody take a new curler to a bond spiel mm-hmm. because it's because you wanted cash. to win. Yeah. yeah yeah and so it hurt the bond spiel numbers because it dwindled down to the skip the four skips would go yeah. it wouldn't take a couple new curlers or a second year curler to go to grafton or devil's lake or or somewhere because it's cash or up into canada to go curl it, it, it wasn't the same feeling so the cash spiels made it easy to run it you didn't have to go buy prizes but i think in the end it hurt curling and i i think it hurt bonds feeling it's kind of took the fun away from it a little bit for some of the curlers exactly, exactly yeah. right so yeah. so the shirt sleeve the i guess the feeling about the shirt sleeve has always been it's a fun event plenty of good curling if we can make the ice really good people enjoy it we give them things to do here and the uniqueness of of our uh facility being able to one-stop shop will say they can come and curl they can have some fun we'd have music we have dances we have food i love that we do the dances we have people stay around the curling club you guys have probably gone to bond spiels in other places just where, curling you better you, like cards where or you dice curl or something. well you yeah. curl and then you go somewhere else with some with your team and go mm-hmm. somewhere else whether it's shopping or to a bar or or somewhere else to eat and then it's oh we got to go back and curl now you show up at the club you curl then you get out of there right away yeah and so the the whole thing about our bond spiels that made it so popular especially for the canadians they weren't done like that in all the places in canada they were more competitive sometimes or they would be more structured and they didn't hang around the place uh, and it, we made it easier for them to stay here and have a good time and not yep. spend as much yep. money as yep. they normally do so that's what that was what made them popular well to the point where I think some of the other events in town start dropping by the shirt sleeve to a good time and we we we've past couple of years have had the amateur basketball tournament and I think we started to see a couple of amateur basketball players down here 
yeah. and start yeah. Yeah. their own. That's, yeah, that's <laughs> yeah, the word goes gets out. And yep. yeah, obviously, in the years when uh, we were curling till three or four in the morning, uh, there wasn't el- much else going on in town at that that's hour. That's true, right? <laughs> not that anything bad happens after midnight, but sometimes not anything good happens after midnight. I always try to tell new curlers. I was just doing it here tonight in the military league with some people watching, and that it maybe first year curlers. I was like, you know, if you want to just swing in this weekend, it's free. You know, I think it's a great look at like a traditional bond spiel, a fun one. You know, um, yeah, it's a it's a it's a good look for curling. So I, I try to get people to come to that. Like, if you're going to experience it, this is this is what I think of when I think curling. Yeah, I, I, and I feel a little bad because we've, you know, in the years that we'd have five bond spiels, we got out of the habit of going to other towns to curl. Yep, uh, and it made it harder for us to go. You know. For our members to see what real bond spilling was when you weren't, weren't working your butt off, you know, cleaning ice and, right. and, and running the food and doing everything else. So, so uh, we, we kind of lost that. I feel bad that we haven't done enough of that to get our own members into other towns. Yeah, and going forward, I th- we have a couple of teams. I mean, we had Charlie on a few weeks ago, and we, I know he's trying to pick up a team to do it. I've done one a couple of years here. We've um, chatted about it every year. It's just a timing thing that makes it tough. We usually just have a couple of teams as opposed to a handful right. of teams. Yeah. Like, there was many years in, in some of our bond spiels where a group of four teams would come from one town, like yeah. Oxbow, just over the border here, less than 100 miles away. Four teams would come down. Yeah. There would be husbands and wives and whatnot, and they'd some curl together and some didn't, but they'd be here for the weekend. Yeah. And uh, and that was a common thing. From one club, there'd be four teams would come. This, this year was probably the best we've had since I've been here for traveling. I think we've had I mean, Charlie sent a few down to Bismarck. A couple went down to Fargo. We had the girls' teams go up to Fortuna. Yeah. So we've probably had a good ten this year, and that's it's starting. It's starting to branch. Finally, starting yeah. to pick up again. Yeah. yeah. Now, now we talked about some of the, like the good years, obviously, when you had uh, filling up forty-eight teams and having a waiting list and things like that. I think we're, we're safe to say we're, we're a year removed from COVID. Um, how much do you think COVID? affected the shirt sleeve with the Canadian teams and and even just teams in town in general well it, there was it went more than one year so the Canadian uh, border rules were in place up until last fall actually yeah. it was very difficult for them to come down and get home again so really that's been a three-year effect of making it very if not impossible very very difficult for a Canadian team to come down here and curl so that stopped the Canadians a year of COVID and it went for two more years so this is really the first year that they can easily get down here yes uh, they've stopped all the restrictions at our border for sure and even their ones going home was was very restrictive as you know oh, yeah. <laughs> trying to go home yeah. you lived it uh, the tests yeah and all that so that that was that hurt us a lot um, hopefully I think it would take a little bit of marketing and and maybe reaching out to some people in the in the Regina, Brandon, Winnipeg, uh, Estevan, some of the Weyburn, to get some of those teams that used to come, uh, get them, remind them that we're still here, yeah. and and we can still make it a good time for them. And we should probably make it a point to return the favor as well. Yeah. Estevan, Weyburn, some of those, we need yeah. to get a team up there. Oh yeah, I'm all for it. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Um, so you mentioned there was a couple of, of close calls with the shirt sleeve um, right before we started yeah. here. What what are some of the, the crises that we've uh, sure en- encountered throughout the years? Well, we're dealing with, in some years it's the weather. We've had years, obviously, where it's 50, 60 degrees. 
So we've had to really work to keep the ice playable. We'd yep. sometimes call it a rain delay. We'd have to go out <laughs> and get get water off the ice or scrape the walls and be here all night taking care of it to get it ready for the next day. That happens occasionally. Our, our plant and our floor now is, is pretty efficient, so we're likely in pretty good shape for most weather events now. But we did have a couple close calls. One year, uh, I'm going to say it was like 95. Uh, we had a uh, an old compressor system that had, as we've often done, borrowed and uh, equipment from other places. We had two old compressor plants. One had come from the Bridgman Creamery that uh, they'd used for many years and closed down, and the other one had come from I think a like Cloverdale or somewhere like that. So those old York uh, compressors were running. Uh, and they don't even make them anymore. Mm-hmm. So parts and things were impossible. Well, we I got a call one Friday from Gordy Johnson, who was a fairgrounds manager who used to check on our plant, and said, uh, we've got a problem. There's one of the rods has broken off in the main plant, and it cannot run. That was the 1st of March, and we would have had probably a 50-16 bonds bill coming in at the end of March to save our year. So, uh, as it happened, the U.S. National Mixed was being held in Bismarck at that time. So a lot of our members were down there watching that. So I, I was here, already called me, so I, I got calling around to ICE compressor companies, and Simcoe is the main one in Winnipeg. They're headquartered in Toronto, and they had a plant that we could buy and we'd have to get it down here. So we st- I called the people that were down at Bismarck. We kind of had an over-the-phone board, board meeting uh, and got this plant coming our way. So then we had to get it shipped from Toronto to Winnipeg. We had one of our members had a day or two off, so we paid his way to go up to Winnipeg with a flatbed trailer, load this thing on. In the meantime, we had Huey the house mover from Minot here come and start taking the old plants out of that plant room. We had to pour some cement footings for that. We had to cut all the pipes off. Craig Nathan was in there with his welding, welding arc welder, cutting all the pipes off, emptied that room completely while this machine was on the road coming down. Yikes. It got to the border. I had We had to call customs brokers to get it lined up so they could get it across the line. Mm-hmm. We got it into town. We lifted it on this. If you think of those those single cranes, you know, they go, they yep. go up like this. Mm-hmm. Well, they were doing it horizontally across the ground with this this thing dangling from it by chains through that door. That through the outside, door. Through the outside door. <laughs> Hanging it in as it rolled in, we had big roller pipes that they'd set it on, and we had to lift it up onto this new pad that we just poured. And Craig Nathan was a master at welder, and he was pre-welding. He had the diagrams of what it was going to look like. He was pre-welding all these pipes all the way around there. And if you know what r- welding around a round pipe, yeah. it's easy to miss a spot. He didn't miss a spot. We didn't have a leak anywhere. They set that plant in there. He finished up hooking up the pipes, and we fired it up one uh, about 10 days before the bond spill. The ice had gotten a little mushy. Well, yeah, it was it was it, it got kind of porous. Yep. I'll say, and and the, it was losing the paint color and all that. 
So, but we got it, got the floor cooled down. We put a couple floods on it. And we got it going, and we saved the bond spiel and saved our year, and probably saved Yikes. our club. Right. Yeah. But it was just a fluke. They had a plant sitting there. They could get it shipped to Winnipeg within five days. So that was about the seventh of March. We got it to Minot about the fifteenth or eighteenth of March, and we got it installed and got it running by about the twentieth. And, uh, and you were curling and on And we Friday. were curling on the 30th. Yeah. So, so wow. that was, that was a, a, a close call. And that was, that was really a, a, a big issue for the club. Well, then a few years after that, the brine pump, which is the thing that pushes the coolant through the... Smaller that, one. Yeah, that blew up. And the impellers. And, and so you couldn't get another one of those uh, in place in time. So that's where we got looking for a some type of a pump and uh, Tobin Taft found one in the uh, in a snowbank in a tree row south of Minot uh, Wheeler Contracting I believe it was it had it it was a big water pump that you'd use to empty a stock pond or something I suppose and we hooked that up but it was a gas operated deal so we had to keep coming down here every six hours and refilling the gas <laughs> 24 hours a day to keep that thing running and we had big big eight inch pipe on the ground coming from that thing so for the exhaust to, no that was a the brine would go out through it and come back in so we had it coming out of the headers oh okay we were bypassing the whole you know to push it through the coolant system and then back under the ice and so that was running for you know a week or, or more and again saving the ice uh and it was a fairly warm time at that point so it <laughs> We got through that week and shut it off, and we got in a little trouble because when all that, you know, those days we were using brine, all the when brine dumped it. out and killed all the grass on yeah. it. <laughs> so not only did we have to pay to rent the deal, we also had to pay for Cashman to resod the, the whole side of the, the curling club building because the fair doesn't, they like to have nice green grass during the yeah. fair. And That's where all the hot tubs it. go. Yeah. yeah. And so, so that was an adventure that, uh, a, a gift that kept giving. It's, uh, it's <laughs> 90s sounded rough. Only in curling do you hear stories like that, right? Eh? Like it's, well, it's, and we just had the perfect storm of members who could do things like that. Right. That, that like, personally, I, I wouldn't have clue one. I don't even know how to, you know, turn on the pump. But these guys understood what we needed. They knew what to look for. They called around. I mean, it was just a combination of, of people pitching in and getting it done. Uh, we, we paid for it all the time. We didn't, you know, the only time we had to... Uh, borrow money in, in recent years uh, when we overhauled that plant for the first time after it had been in, in place for about 10 years. We had to replace the chiller that was leaking. We had to do some other stuff. The, the, the uh, ammonia tank was no good. We had to completely overhaul it. So we did have to borrow 30,000 bucks one year to, uh, to get it all going again. Uh, that was in the early 2000s. And over the years, we kind of saved it that way too. So over... Over the 60 plus years that uh, the shirt sleeve has been going on, obviously there's been good stories like that, saving the saving the Bonspiel and the club, like you said. Um, you've had a lot of curlers come from both Canada and the U.S. Any memorable like celebrity curler appearances that you that you might remember? Well, uh, some uh, some were curlers that did well after they left here, and some that had been really famous curlers before they got here. 
Uh, Ernie Richardson and his rink were four-time world champions from Regina. Ernie would come not with his competitive team, but he mm-hmm. would come down and curl uh, several times. Another gentleman by the name of Bob Pickering was a Canadian Saskatchewan champion many times. The Campbells that went with them uh, were from Saskatchewan. Uh, we've had a, lot, a few American curlers that have been here that were as somewhere as juniors uh, that later on went on to do something more than that. Uh, we had a, the state, in, in the old days, North Dakota used to have its own state playdowns. So we would host that on a rotation probably every 10, 12 years. So I remember in 1965, there was a curler from Minot on the team from a team from Fargo. It was a it was actually a dentist from Moorhead, and they won the U.S. They won the North Dakota, and then they won and won the U.S. And it was actually the first time curling was ever in Sports Illustrated, because the guy was real loudmouth and, oh, no. <laughs> and he's you know, he was like oh we're you know, it was like the Muhammad Ali I'm the greatest we're gonna do everything nobody does that in curling right <laughs> and he did. <laughs> And so it got noticed, and they went to the world. And, and the third for him was a uh, uh, a fellow from Minot, actually, Tom Fitzpatrick. Okay. And so uh, that was one of the curling names in Minot from way back. Uh, and so I remember that, and re- I remember seeing it, and then he disappeared after that. Not only as a curler, but as a dentist. I never did see him again. <laughs> I know his office was in Moorhead. I remember where it was. And, uh, he, he disappeared. But... Uh, there, he wouldn't come to a bond spiel necessarily, but he he did curl here. Yeah. So obviously, Bob Labonte curled here for yes. many many years, um, and we've talked. I'm pretty sure we talked about the curse Labonte and went over that story. If not, it's been it's been shared many times. Did did you curl on on Bob's team? Did you travel with him to a yeah. couple? Or? Oh yeah, it was that was kind of another story. And even in the bond spiels here, Bob was really he was actually our club manager for a few years when he was going okay. to school. Here. In fact, I think I still get his mail sometimes. Yeah. 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 Yeah, he came to Minot. He came to Minot to go to college. Okay. Uh, and so while he was at going to Minot State, he'd work in the railroad in the summer, like on a road crew. Yep. And then he'd go to school in the winter, and he'd be the club manager. And then we curled together. And so it was always a, a, a very common thing when I'd go somewhere with Bob, whether it was in Canada or wherever. You know, before the game, you're shaking hands and introducing yourself. Yeah. And he'd, Bob Labonte, good curling. And I'd be behind him, and the guy would shake his hand and then kind of go look like like did he say Bob that, Labon- that Bob and I'd kind of shake my head and go yeah that's yeah him. he did <laughs> that's him. and so that happened many many times and so then they'd all want to talk to him about it it was always it was that's a whole other story what, of his history what event was that world championship that was world championship yeah, the final okay. game of the world championship in 1972 so okay. 51 years ago and uh he was a like he always says he was a like if he was a bull rider he would have got the gold medal. He was a champion for eight seconds. Yeah, right. Champion for eight seconds. <laughs> and then he, the rock was kicked and that was and the end of it. That was but, the end of that. Uh, I think it's funny. And more famous Bob, for that probably. Yeah. yeah. Bob's got a couple of my favorite uh, shirt sleeve memories here too. Uh, one of them is my first year here because I'd only lived in town for like three months and the shirt sleeve rolls in and I'm sitting here. You know I've been curling at the club as an alternate. You know yeah. got picked up on a team um, and then Bob walks in. Never seen him before. 
before in my life, goes up to the uh, uh, stand there. Who is the gal that uh, would sing for us? Melissa. Uh, Melissa. Spelchin. Spelchin, yeah. yeah. So he goes up and grabs Spelchin's guitar and starts singing the My Little Beaver song yeah. <laughs> and just belting it out. And then uh, the next year I saw him, he'd pulled the little vent over in the walls there. Yeah. So we got the vents that go between the club room and the ice. And he grabbed a spray bottle and he was spritzing some. I don't remember who he was spritzing. He was spraying the spray bottle on somebody who was standing out there on well, the ice yeah. while they're curling, yeah. you know. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, the, so the, the, there's a lot of folks that came to the uh, shirt sleeve many years in a row. From Winnipeg, Brandon, they used to come in groups. Uh, I have a lot of good memories of those names and those people, and they were really good, and they'd come back year, year after year and look forward to seeing them. And, and of course, we've kind of lost some of that, but then again, I'm getting old, and they probably don't remember me either. <laughs> well, well, we're trying to get it started again. We'll, yeah. we'll see here. Yeah. So one, I was going to ask, one that we, we had a, a club history podcast a while back when we found the newspaper clippings, but I don't think we saw the one um, when the club location changed. Sure. What what year was that? That was, we actually opened it December of 62. 62. That's, that's the current fairgrounds location. Yeah, yeah. Okay. And when so, did they break ground on the building? How long? Well, did it they take? probably did it that spring. So, okay. so it would have been just that year. Oh, okay. It, wow. They got it yeah. up pretty fast. The Manson Construction built it. Uh, there's a little bit of a story to that. That if you look up by the beams up there, you'll see that the four things they were misdrilled originally, oh. <laughs> and so the, yeah. they they misdrilled the, or missized the building just a off a of hair. And so they had to redrill those beam cross beams. But yeah, that was part of it. And and it was really the the cooperation cooperative effort between at that time the county fair. Because it was oh. not a state fair at that time. Did not know that. It didn't become the state fair till 1965. So it was a county fair at the time, and uh, the, the manager of the fair at that time uh, was a curler. Okay. And so they uh, so they kind of worked to deal with him to do a cooperative thing for this building. So it actually served. So that was in '62. Minot Curling Club paid for half the building, and we paid for all the ice making equipment and all that. The fair owns the bill owned the building, so we had a 40-year lease, believe it or not. So that ended in 2002, and so uh, during that time, though it worked because they used the building for the as a commercial exhibit building, and then Tim Cashman used to rent it in the spring, yep. and then we'd have it for our six months, and it was a it was a a really good cooperative deal. So now go to the middle 70s, they decided to build a hockey rink in Minot. There was not an indoor hockey rink in Minot. So they used the cooperative thing that we did here and they put the hockey rink on the fairgrounds. Okay. And the All Seasons Arena was built thinking that hockey was a six month operation and the fair was to take it the rest of the year. Well, it turned out to work great for a while, but all of a sudden hockey started being more than a six month operation and they needed more ice and they needed more time. And then that got to become kind of a uh, headbutting thing over the yep. years and and then they ended up moving that hockey away from the the, the fair fairgrounds. and so so the, it was a the curling club before was really the idea behind that and sure can and we circle great. that back to yeah. the article again from 1916 where they say like the minot curling and skating association is building a a four sheet curling club with a skating rink and then they go on there like and we're sure hockey is soon to follow because it was a new upcoming sport so yeah so we 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 had the first hockey arena because the curling club built it and then we had the first indoor one because they followed our business model yeah that's yeah. yep and uh, yeah and as you know uh Wes, we've talked about it we 
were the Minot Curling and Skating Association until I think '92. I changed the name. Yeah, with yeah, the state. Yeah. But yes, but that was our official name for all those years. Not that we did anything with skating in, in my lifetime, but it, that was how they started back in the uh, the '20s there. Yeah. And so, and the the original club that was there's. It was right on British Expressway, right? That well, burnt down? Well, or no, no, they had a temporary one by yeah. the railroad. They started okay. with an outdoor... Well, first they started on the river. On the river, yep. Then we, they had we a talked about that. with no roof on it, down by the depots. I yep, just down north, kind of by the barley pop the fish area. Yeah. 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 yeah, and that was kind of a temporary deal. Yep. And then the building that I remember as a kid, I was never old enough to curl it, but my dad did, was right north of the viaduct here by Eastwood Park. Yep. It was a big slope building and actually had four sheets of curling in the middle on this slope and actually had room for two sheets on the outside and, and originally it was natural ice so, oh so they would they couldn't have a shirt sleeve bonds peel because it, it they had to have their their international Winter. in january was it, it was a sand floor too I it was a sand right? floor yep. yep it was only used for that well then they would occasionally put ice on those outside, so they actually could have done eight sheets of curling ice there. Wow. But they didn't do it very often because those outside sheets were a lot of work, and then it was kind of falling into the river on the north side. Yep. Uh, it was right on the river, and so that would... So, so that's that's how it was. But I remember there was no shirt sleeve, but they'd have the international because it was earlier. Because it was in January or February. Yeah. yeah. And and that structure no longer exists. No. It it after the curling club moved out of there and came down here to have a cement floor and a fixed yep. building and all that. The uh, uh, was used for many years to store. I think Fisher Motors bought it. Okay. And they stored cars in there. Okay. And then I think it was at Christmas one year. The week between Christmas and New Year's, it burned. I remember driving with my parents up to the hill to watch it burn. To see it. So yeah. I'm guessing it was in the late 60s or early 70s. I'm not exactly sure. But was it was around. after the Curling Club. Oh, had yeah, already we were gone. Out. We were yeah. long gone. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So talk about location changes and stuff like that. Um, with this club being where it is, how much uh, how much was the building itself affected by the floods, and uh, did it ever play a factor in shirt sleeve play? No, no, the or flood. Season the play? flood. Well, the '69 flood was was the first one that happened in April, so we would have been just done with done, our yeah. season right before it. I think the floodwaters hit mine at about the 10th of April, if I remember right. I was a junior in high school then, so I remember not going to school for a month, but. Uh, that we would have got through it that year, but the the building would have been flooded, uh, but not much, maybe a foot of water in the building that year. 2011, there was five feet of water in here, and that's why, like all of our compressors and our pumps and everything had to be rewound and they had to rewire everything in the building because the water was above the the panels of the electrical thing. So that was the worst one, and that one happened in June. Right. So uh, you might, I don't know if you guys were around that year. We a had little to, bit. We right had to come here. down uh, to the curling club. Our, our rocks and everything were covered with mud in the rock room. Well, they, and we couldn't come down here. It was all, everything was restricted. Well, then we got a call one day. Hey, you guys got to come and take your rocks out of that room. We're going to clean that up. Uh, one of the companies would come. So we had to come down here on a, like, call around and get people at 6 o'clock to come down here that night to take all our divider boards, all of our curling rocks, all of our oh, yeah. equipment. We laid it all out on the grass on the other end of the building. We, uh, I think Nathan's hauled the rocks to their warehouse on a trailer, but all the divider boards were laid outside and they stunk because they were mud covered and all yeah. that. And they sat there for the summer. 
and then they finally got this. I don't think we got going that year till January. So okay. that year we actually curled till the end of April. Okay. We went from January to April in two in two thousand eleven slash twelve. Yep. And so that year we were still able to have the shirt sleeve. We had a league. barely, but yeah, yes, we had a league that year, but we didn't we didn't we didn't make ice till Christmas. Similar to the year after COVID, I would think. Yeah. Similar setup. I think we got started right around January for that as well. Yeah, we did. It was yeah. right after the yeah. New Year. Yeah, we, had, yeah. we were getting ready in, in, in November, and then they had a second shutdown. Yep. And then we stopped making ice and waited till. yeah. Yep, yep, yeah. that's right. That's right. So, I mean, we've had our ups and downs over the years. I guess that's just stories that yeah. we'll remember. Some of us will remember later. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Kept her going. Did the floor need work after the... To- we got a new one, didn't we? I thought yeah. we got a new well, floor on that's there. a different... The, the, the first floor that was put in in 62 was pretty good. Uh, the flood maybe affected it some, but I think my theory always was there was a time that uh, Ike Keatings would bring in flatbed trucks full of carpet and yeah. back them in there and have a carpet sale, like a garage sale here. Mm-hmm. And I think the weights of those things coming in in the spring when it was just plowing out. During road restrictions. Would, yeah, and, yeah, would, yeah, would cause the floor to crack. So we were always fighting sheet six and we were always, the, there was cracks all over the floor. So. We'd, we'd run brine through that too, right? We didn't, I, it, the brine didn't hurt us, but the, we had to replace the header pipes. But yeah. but the original pipes were are still there, actually. They're underneath, They're right? Because they so, just added concrete? So, yeah, so I, I forget the year. I'm going to say 15 years ago, maybe. Um, there was an opportunity. I'd been checking with companies around the country about replacing the floor and how to do it. And to chop out the floor and all those old pipes and stuff was a really expensive thing. But I found a company that said, no, we can just go right on top of that old yeah. one. Yeah. So they brought in layers of stuff and smoothed it out, and then they put the pipes in. At the same time, the city of Mina had some money that, that they were going to use for facilities. So it's the only time in my life I've been to city council meetings. I went to four or five of those. Mm-hmm. We did an application for funds from the city, and the city funded us through the state fair as an owner of the building. Two hundred thousand dollars to replace the floor and all the pipes oh, and the wow. headers. Wow. I guess I don't remember that. Today. And so, so that was a uh, that saved our floor, kept us going for another several years. Obviously, now the first one lasted probably you know forty years, forty-five years, and then we've had this one now for fifteen or twenty. I think it was 2007. Before I, they redid that floor, there was still a channel underneath the boards, right? Because they used to heat and scrape that water off into that trough, and then yes, well, that, and there's still one here today. We just don't use it. And the home end where the the headers are, they call them the pipes where the brine comes through, and then it goes out into the. But pipe. you can still see. Yeah. Oh, those okay. When so those boards up, still pop up. You can and, yeah, okay. see it. Uh, we did have a few years where some pipes would plug because of the brine that we used to use, which is a calcium chloride mixture, yep. like they use in tractor tires and whatnot. That's what the coolant we used for many years. Well, that would eventually created a slime and a, and a shale in those pipes because they'd be sh- shut down all summer. Mm-hmm. That would dry in there, and that eventually those pieces started clogging up. So we'd have plug pipes. So we had many of them, so we'd come in through the end here, We'd pull the plug that we'd get our faces sprayed with whatever it was in there. So we and then we'd have to cut the pipes and redo them and rehook them to that header. We'd have to run water through there to try to push all the sludge out of there and then reattach them while the thing was running. 
So it was not much fun crawling around and doing that. But we did that a couple of years because of the plug pipes. And that's what led us to replacing the floor was we had some plug pipes we couldn't clean up. We did switch when we, uh, when we overhauled the plant in the early 2000s, we switched from that calcium chloride to glycol. Mm. So the glycol is not as caustic to the anything. Yeah, uh, it's it's a it's uh, ethylene glycol. No, I think propylene. Propylene glycol. Yeah, I've always heard the issue time. with the brine is like you get a yeah. little bit of air in it too. Yeah. Any air and like you add all that rusts. salt and it just rusts immediately. Yeah, it looks you know? like rust. Where so, with the glycol, you can have air in the system yeah. and just so, kind of bleed yeah. so it. So that was a savior when we, when we switched to the glycol. Yeah. Oh, we are over forty minutes. We're yeah. almost well, forty-five. Smokes, yeah. yeah. So I figured that would happen with this. Yeah, area. yeah. No, it's good. It's good. I guess real quick. One of your favorite moments, whether it happened on the ice, if it's a funny story, or <laughs> or happened in the lobby during during shirt sleep. You got if it. I don't hear it, I'm going to ask about one. Yeah. Go ahead. Well, here's here's one. I had a a, a good friend of mine from uh, Tisdale, Saskatchewan, who'd come down many years, and he he had trouble controlling his alcohol intake, <laughs> and uh, actually, he's a dentist. <laughs> red hair, flaming red hair great guy i used to go up there to hunt with him and we also had a member frank shipley who was a surgeon here in Minot. so mm -hmm. teddy had an incident where he fell i think in in the kitchen and hit his head on the old stove we had in here and cut his head so it's bleeding like crazy now, as you know and he doesn't feel a thing but he's bleeding so yeah. we're like hey we got to fix you up here you know we're gonna have to take you in and your blood's so thin, you know. He, he hadn't <laughs> slept in three days. He hadn't stopped drinking the whole time. What are we going to do? We get Frank Shipley decides to fix him up. So he looks at him. He's got this big gash, and he just starts taking his hair and tying it together on either side of the gash to pull it together. His own hair. Yeah. He, yeah. Uses, <laughs> he, he used his own hair to stitch him up. <laughs> All right, go ahead, Ted. Oh, God. Oh, boy. Oh, God. <laughs> Oh, what a fix that would be. That's too funny. That's better than We that. should have done that with about. Plemmel when he cracked his face out there. Right here. <laughs> Nobody <laughs> went. Oh, yeah. Hold still. Well, so was that the story you were looking to hear? No, I, I heard about I heard about sliding down the stairs oh, at one point. Okay, yeah. The, the chair sur or the, ta the stair surfing and table diving, those are two of the Bonspiel traditions for a while. The uh, table surfing was what you'd wait till somebody had a table like this full of beer cans and whatever, beverage. <laughs> and then without them looking, you'd take a run from across the room and head first dive and slide across the table, empty the table of everything that was on it into the laps. <laughs> Onto the floor you'd go and crawl underneath and kind of get up and go. What happened? <laughs> and, then, and then we would... At least there was an etiquette. And then you know? we'd try to... Yeah, the, the stair surfing. I, I still think that's probably why I had to have my knee repaired. I, I think I've been told when, when, when table surfing was popular, I, I was told that there was a was a Canadian team that had gotten it done to them like three times that year. And like by the third time they came around, they just picked up their yeah, drinks, yeah, leaned back, and they went and didn't even they give just, them a second they look. They just keep their hand on their drink and yeah. they saw it coming. They just looked back. back. <laughs> it was just like, you know... A train crossing. Yeah. <laughs> Wes, you may have tried that once, but I think you went the wrong way over the table. You know, because I have no recollection yeah. of it, you're probably yeah, you right. To, so. yeah, it's a long way across the table. The long way, not the short no, way. Long way. <laughs> oh, 
that's, <laughs> that's good. That's, that's fun. Well, uh, we could probably wrap up then. You think if if we're getting close to that fifty minute mark? Uh, I gotta go do a championship presentation here. In a few oh, okay. Well, so, yeah, we better we better, we better yeah. wrap up. Mark, thank you very much for joining us. Um, again, the shirt sleeve kicks off this Friday, the thirty first at five o'clock. Is the first draw? There'll be three draws. I think we got yep. three draws. Three draws. Yeah. The last draw Saturday will be nine fifty. Okay, so. Three days of good curling, and we filled up, so that's good to see. Yep. Um, other than that, good luck to the teams curling for city championships tomorrow night, and uh, we'll be back with episode 16. Thanks, right. guys. Bye.